Welcome to All About the Sisters Wellness Podcast, where we help you reclaim your overall health and wellness. Get informed, take action, and be better at being well. I'm Melanie Painter, founder of All About the Sisters, and your host. I find taking care of my health to be a very daunting and tedious task. I'm sorry, but I have to be really honest. When I was younger, my mother did all that crap, set the appointments, and all I had to do was show up. I want that back. I mean, she's not here anymore, but if I could afford it, I would pay someone to remind me to do all my yearly checkups or rather have them set up the appointments and I'll just show up with my happy self. Don't you feel like that sometimes? That it's a lot of work to stay on top of your health? I have close friends who are extremely vigilant with staying current about their doctor visits. I mean, they have that mess down to a science and I admire them a lot for it. Me? I'm always looking for the next app or software that could revolutionize my personal health care and prevent me from having to do all the work of talking to 10 different doctors for all the multiple health complaints I have. And that's the other thing. Women's health is complicated. We are dealing with way more than men do. I recently read an article in Quartz that women are classified as small men with different reproductive organs. Are you kidding me? Who came up with this ish? Women's health comes with complicated influences like hormones that impact a woman's life. So we can't be small men. This thinking is as harmful to women ourselves as it is for the healthcare system as a whole. Add access, cost, and quality of care, and it's no wonder women's health outcomes are getting worse. This kind of thinking and lumping groups together is why we can't trust the system in the first place. No offense to general practitioners and primary care phys- physicians out there. We appreciate you, but sometimes you get a whole diagnosis wrong. And there's more to healing than issuing pharmaceutical drugs, which as we have seen has led to the whole opioid crisis. My personal preference has always been to see a holistic doctor to get more of an integrated approach to my needs. In my opinion, I've been in my best health throughout my life whenever I saw a holistic doctor. For one, holistic doctors are more willing to try unconventional methods to healing, and I feel more balanced overall. The only downside is that seeing a holistic doctor mostly means you have to pay out of pocket, as insurance companies don't always cover their practice methods. But thanks to COVID-19 and this pandemic, we may be getting close to leaving old ways of dealing with our health behind. Already, in-person visits may be a thing of the past, and I am so here for it. I'm a techie and curious to know what products and tools there are out there and what advantages innovations like artificial intelligence hold for us within healthcare. For these reasons, I wanted to talk to my friend Michael, who studied neuroscience, the co-founder of a revolutionary new health app that can collect, analyze, detect patterns, and give you real-time nutrition suggestions based on your health information and your defined goals. It does much more, and I am happy that AATS is one of the first to introduce it to you. Finally, healthcare in our hands. Woo, life is about to get so much better. I haven't seen anything like it out there yet, so I am pumped and ready to find out more. Stay with me. We get into a whole lot of truths here.
Our guest today is Michael McNair, the founder and CEO of 55B Labs, a lab that focuses on understanding neuroscience data and applying the research to AI products and services. He is also the creator of 55B Academy, where he teaches data science to underrepresented youth and the co-organizer for Practical AI Meetup in the San Francisco Bay Area. Well, welcome to the All About the Sisters Wellness Podcast. We're so happy to have you. How have you been? Oh, I've been great. Thank you for having me on. I mean, uh, we've talked back and forth now for, well, it's been, it seems like it's been years, but it's been, it's right. been months, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I mean, there's so much happening in my life. There's, it's been going on now for a little over a year and it seems like it's never stopped. That's really good. That's really good to hear. So, well, I want to start off today by you know, just talking about what's your background? Like, what did you study in college? Yeah, so um, my background is, I guess, yeah, we can say I'm, I grew up in kind of unconventional. I, I grew up in New York State. Um, I would probably say in my small little town, I might've had 5,000 people. Um, I'm, I'm the son of a preacher for 38 years and of an entrepreneur. So um, I, I can say that I went to school for business uh, management and um, because I wanted to start a business at a young age. So the person in my family that started a business was my father. He started a business when he was around the same age that I was. Um, what he did was he created um, a, an adult daycare center for elderly patients that he picked them up and actually had like a whole logistics ecosystem where you can pick them up, drop them off at his particular facility um, while you, the, you know, the individual could go to work and then he would then drop them back off at your house after work hours, but he would still have them do physical activity. He would have entertainment. He would have food. Um, you know, my dad was a graduate from Yale university in public health. So he had somewhat of an understanding of social issues. And he did this actually down in Baltimore. So this high propensity of, of African-Americans. And, you know, when I was younger, I was going down to see him. You know, um, I was going down to see him and him and my mom traveled. We traveled all over the place. And I kind of just saw that firsthand how it was to, you know, just have something that you can call your own. So that's kind of like, I guess you can say a little bit of osmosis, <laughs> but uh, a little bit of also some ambition that I had in me as well. You know, a little bit of training. Um, as well. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a, a little bit of my background. <laughs> so I, I, I studied, like I said, I studied business in school and um, the bigger picture was actually, you know, seeing my dad create a company um, and, and, and somewhat scale that in, in, in somewhat scale that down the East coast. Mm, definitely a chip off the old block. Wow. <laughs> why, yeah. why choose this part so very early though? Um, great question. Um, I chose the path early. I, I feel like that question, I can reverse it and say it chose me um, because I believe it did. I believe there was something inside of me for such a long time that just wanted to create something, wanted to birth something, wanted to manifest something. And in the beginning, it was basketball. It was surrounded. I truly believed, and I still do believe in surrounding yourself with things that you love. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, I was four years old, and I started out 
playing basketball everywhere that I went, brought it to church, brought it to school. I was that kid. So I, I, the first company I started was a basketball company. And that company, you know, I went through the rigor of, you know, not knowing what to do and, you know, going, going through all the trials and tribulations at such a young age that I felt like I was supposed to do that. I was supposed to start at such a young age because I was supposed to be shaped and molded for where I am now. So I suggest that we all start early. And if you get that voice, if you get that feeling that says, you know, do it or, you know, move forward or keep going, um, it's only moving, it's only, it's only in your best favor, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship. And I, you know, you know, I've spoken to so many different entrepreneurs and I have so many different conversations with all different types of, of backgrounds. And that's a question that usually does come up, right? Like, why do you start? Why do you do what you do? You know, how do you do what you do? So yeah, I started at a young age because I believe the path chose me. Um, I believe God had something bigger and better and brighter in my life. And I just continue. All I did was just listen. Wow. A testimony. I love it. The first one was the basketball company that was called inspirational hoops. Um, and then after that, that was, well, that I can say that was about 10 years ago um, now. And that was basically, I had kids from all over the place, um, training them in basketball. And then it went from more bas just basketball to like fitness. And then it went to, you know, wellness and mental health, where I was like, we were doing yoga sessions, we were doing breathing sessions, we were doing, you know, workouts, we, we were moving from and I started to build it that way. Like slowly, but it started to accelerate more and more kids came more and more people wanted me to start teams. I went from one team to three to five. It was just a lot. And that moved me into the dimension of trying. And my mom said this to me when she was alive. She said, you need to disconnect yourself in order to really move and replicate yourself. So disconnect and replicate. And what that means for people that don't understand is you got to, in a business, it's its own, it could be its own separate entity. It is not you. And there's an option for that. Uh, you have a business that can stand on its own. If, if I'm not around, is it still there? Yes. And it, it can evolve and it can change like anything else. So, you know, hearing those, you know, th those words and, and, and really grappling with them, I, I took that and I was like, you know what? Uh, let me try to figure out other things to do. And one of the things that at this particular time, as this was happening at the same time, um, I actually had, uh, I fell in the, I, I never really told anybody the story, but I fell in the bathroom, hit my head and, and it was like a, a sharp pain. But before I fell, it was already like a, a sharp pain in my brain. And after I kind of rose to, I had this feeling, it was like a couple of weeks after I had this feeling to really just learn more about my own brain. I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't, the only person I really called was my sister. And I just had this feeling, this, this drive to just, you know, I got books, I got mag, literally from that point, I got books, magazines, and I started really just studying my own brain, my own mind, the, the, the own functions from a, from a cognitive neuroscience perspective, not necessarily a computational neuroscience perspective, which I, I can, I'll go into 
that that in a bit. But that was the story of of me kind of moving along. And I'm gonna I, I don't want to jump between questions, but that. I'll leave it there. It's, it, I'll leave it there as I, I know we're going to come back to that part of my background. Right. So you took this unconventional road into the realm of developing augmented reality and artificial intelligence technology. Tell us a little bit about that journey and what it was. I mean, I'm guessing it's a leap off from where you were last Exactly. Week. Exactly. So that's, that's what kind of moves us into this question. And after that, um, after I started really, I would say maybe about a little bit less than six months. Um, my, you know, my, my grandmother had passed from dementia and I didn't know at that particular time, kind of what, like I had an understanding of what dementia was, but I, I didn't want to, I didn't know what it like truly, truly, I, I knew, you know, Alzheimer's, but I saw firsthand what it could strip away from a, from a human's mind. I knew what it could take. I knew what the person could become. And that to me was scary, but also fascinating at the same time, because I knew where I didn't want to be in life. I knew that I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, wake up one day and not know who my son was. And I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. So, you know, there were times where it got really difficult because we brought my grandmother back to the house and we were living with her, right? So experiencing that um, really, really made me dive even deeper into what now the you know computational neuroscience is. And that's what got me into AR and AI and VR. So at this particular point, I was um, studying. And then after that, I started to get more into virtual reality because, you know, they call VR the last screen. And I started to build, I started to really, again, go back to training I, I found out that there was a, a hole in the market for fitness at home. And I started to develop my own VR headset. And I started crafting out what the VR headset would look like. I started to, um, you know, build it out in Maya, which is uh, uh, basically a institutional grade, uh, you know, CAD model uh, software program that you can build experiences um, and so, so yeah, so I started to do that. And then one of my friends was just like, hey, you know, you, you probably need to go to this hackathon. It's at MIT. And I was like, oh, all right, you know, I, I might do it. I might not. And then I ended up actually applying and I got in. Wow. And then, yeah, I got in. And then, you know, it was 72 teams, about 500 people. And we were one of the winners. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And this was in VR. And, and I, at that point, I was like, you know, maybe, you know, this is pretty interesting, you know, like, um, so that happened and that was in VR. And, but I also realized at the MIT hackathon that I did not want to be in only VR. That's what also it gave me because a lot of people, I mean, the governor from Boston was there. They saw our tool. They were like, this is really good. You guys should go into hospitals and really do this. I worked in hospitals for a long time. So I knew what the issues and problems were, but I knew that I didn't want to be, in hospitals uh, like that, <laughs> dealing with it that way. So after the MIT hackathon, I made a decision to be like, you know what? I actually am more interested in augmented reality. And augmented reality is basically, you know, us as humans, we see the world with physical spaces. If you are, if you have the ability to overlay onto that physical space, a digital avatar or a digital asset, 
with, you know, whether it be your cell phone or whether it be glasses, whether it be contacts, there's so many different things people are talking about implants. I mean, I knew about that industry a while ago and we're, we're not even nowhere near where people are starting, you know, getting their minds fixed on, you know? So, so yeah, augmented reality, that, that kind of got me into there. And I started to study more about, around spatial mapping and point cloud data. Like we're creating data right now. Like I think about this during the pandemic, like our computers, our, our, our bodies are all data. Your body is about a little over a terabyte of data. Interesting. That's what your body is, right? Like, it's a lot of data, but uh, compared to a computer that might have 15 terabytes or 20 terabytes, it's, it, it, that's why they're like, oh, well, you know, ro robots or uh, other AI entities could do this better than humans, right? They do that. They do that to us sometimes. So, sorry, I don't want to get off track, but yeah, so that's kind of, that was my, I would say, VR, AR, and then as, as anyone knows, I know other people do know as well, if you're in... Um, if you have studied, you know, whether it be computational neuroscience, game theory, cognitive neuroscience, you, you somewhat find your way back to AI. Okay. And that's exactly what happened with me. I, I, I instead of being more on the uh, social aspect of, you know, experiences, I wanted to craft those in a different way using AI. Hmm. Wow. All that is interesting. My, um, my grandmother actually had dementia, which we just thought was her getting old, but then it turned into um, Alzheimer's. Wow. And she, we brought her to live with us as well. And she, she, was, she was horrible to me. I was, wow. I was a teen at the time, and she, she just seemed very horrible. The best parts about her were that she, um, she would go back in time and tell me about her childhood. And then I would ask my mom when she got home, I said, like, Grammy spoke about, you know, she spoke about this today. Do you know anything about it? She was talking about this beautiful orchard where she went with her sisters and brothers. And she was like, yes, her, you know, like our great, great grandfather owned an orchard, you know, on the island or something. And she would go there, visit there as a child or something. But, yeah. um, it was, those were the best parts of her and, and there were the, the, the horrible parts of her where she would want to fight. And I was an object of, I was like a target. They always have a target, I guess, but we were not aware that she had Alzheimer's. Wow, wow. And then wow. We, put wow. her, we put her in a home because my mom couldn't take care of her anymore. And she died like maybe five days later. Like wow, wow. She just deteriorated really fast and just died. Um, but I was always sorry that I never really took the time to understand what she was going through because we didn't know, you know. Mm -hmm. After her death is when we found out, you know, what she, this is what she definitely had. And I mean, at that point, I don't think she was treatable because um, mm -hmm. there's no cure, but, um, but, but it just makes me a little more aware of how our bodies, if, it not, if it's not treated right, can definitely get to the point of really you know degradation that we actually not prepared for but a lot of these issues do funnel down to our community in a very impactful way right you you know there's so many other you know variables being a black man a black woman mother father that then you add on layers of complexity like disease, 
and you get into a whole nother can of worms, right? Now it's like, you're not just fighting the quote unquote system. You don't even have the access. You don't have the, you don't, you know, have the understanding of the knowledge to be like, you know what, this is what this is, or can they get, can we get treated? Why couldn't this person get treated? Why could, you know, and you go into those whys, right? And the whys are, I think, what push us to another level in somewhat shape or form, right? Because they hurt us, but you can only get better through pain. That's it. Can, you can't only, you can only get better through pain. And I saw that as when it happened to me, I'll never forget, you know, because she was one of the first people that I lost that was actually really close that I was old enough to under, you know what I mean? Like when you're younger, you have the people that pass and you don't really, especially in black, you have, oh, so-and-so passed. Like, oh, I never met that person in my life. But, but she was like, you know, my mom's mom, you know, and my mom's mom, we always, you know, we always went, went around to her house. So yeah, I'm, I, I am, I'm sorry to hear that that was the way that it occurred. Um, you know, and and I and I believe that your your testimony will continue to wake up other people as well. Absolutely. No, I think actually a culmination of all of the things because you know my grandma died from dementia. My dad had a rare form of cancer. He died years ago, and then you know my mom passed with it was like a freak accident. She had a quick surgery and outpatient surgery and she died five days later and we never knew if it was a result of the surgery it had to be complications but you know she de she developed a blood clot and passed and, and so I think championing wellness has always been something for me as you know as it has been for you um you know having a father that really worked in the healthcare system and took care of all people you know yeah. in the way. Yeah. so so this is this this MIT um, hackathon yeah. that you entered. This was under fifty five labs. Yeah, so this was actually right before I went out to San Francisco to start fifty five B labs. Okay. So like this was this was about maybe I believe this was October or September, okay. and of two thousand and seventeen. And then I ended up winning the hackathon. And this is how I feel like God kind of planned it out, right? So at the hackathon, I ended up meeting, you know, long, long time friend, uh, mentor, personnel. I mean, she's absolutely amazing. I met her at the hackathon and, you know, I was going back and forth because I already made up my decision that I wanted to move out to Silicon Valley. I wanted to move out to San Francisco and I was like, I'm going to do it. And she won too she won the hackathon too. And I talked to her, you know, when I got back home, like a week or two later, and she was like, oh, well, you know, and she's been in, you know, technology for like 20 years in the, in the Bay. So she knew not only the technical aspect, but had a maneuver in the Bay, but also she knew VCs, she knew founders, she had an unbelievable Rolodex. And when I made my decision to move out to San Francisco, January 8th, 2018, um, the first place that I went was LA because she said, come to LA because you're going to CES. So my first experience on the West Coast was five days in Vegas with over 200,000 people. And she introduced me to everyone. Like it was this divine 
experience where she was just ex introducing me to so many different people in the field, so many different engineers, so many different founders, so many different companies and VCs. And I'll never forget this. And I said this before, I believe one, a few weeks ago on another podcast where I said, one of the things I remember she said to me was, um, we were sitting down at dinner <clears throat> at the end, at the end of the night, at the end of the week in Vegas. And she was looking at me and she said, I am not going to let you fail. Aww. And her being um, a Hispanic mom of five, of five interracial kids that are black, you know, her looking at me and saying, saying that it was, you know, I knew that I was going to have to work even harder, but that voice carries with me, right? It carries with me. And so, yeah, that's, that was, that was just, right. As soon as that happened, you know, we, and I ended up going back up, flying back up to San Francisco and I was in my office and that's where I started 55B Labs. And 55B Labs is actually short for A55B. And that's actually, um, that's actually the part of the brain that deals with visual storytelling. It's down nearby the frontal lobe. So that's the inspiration around the name, or, or not the inspiration around the name, but what 55B Labs does, what it is, is we have basically, it's a research lab and development company that does as neuroscience research, but we make applications based on that research. So for instance, uh, Cody.ai was uh, a neural net that basically was based off of neuroscience research that we collected off of EEG data. So we brought people in, and at this point we were studying stress, directly work-related. Work Think about racial bias, sexual harassment. Um, we wanted to build a tool that could stop it, that could somewhat give people um, uh, if, if they were, now we were building this for enterprise, the founder's tool was a little bit different, but we would bring people into our office and we'd put an EEG on their head. We put them in another room and we have software that would read the, what we would be able to do is we would send them indelicate messages to see which parts of their brain lit up after the message was sent. And we would keep it control. Like a light is Similar, but with an EEG, it's, it's a, it's a lot. It's, it's different than, than uh, having like a lie detector test um, kind of plugged up to you. And, you know, it's, even though like it's on, it's on your head, like there's prongs that go on your head. It's, you're kind of looking around, it, it's not on you, like on your finger or on your chest. So it's not so like, you know, that it's there. I mean, you, you do know it's there, but it's just on top of your head. You see how my head is bald in this. It was very easy to read my brain waves. <laughs> um, I used to walk around with it in, in the bay all the time. So, so yes, that's what, that's what 55B Labs does. I have put basically all the operations on hold because I have my other startup now that I deal with, which is my, um, me and my co-founders company, which we'll talk about, which is called Simpa. Um, but, you know, I, I know, and I have, I have a, a, a great deal of confidence that, you know, 55B Labs is still, I'm looking actually, you know, in the near term, possibly for someone to manage it until I get back into the seat at one particular point. I don't know when that's going to be. It could be five years, but I definitely want to um, sell our complete Simpa at one point in my life and then possibly get back to the work that I've been doing at 55B Labs.
Wow, I think all this is amazing. It's exciting. It's making me feel like I need to go back and learn something. You know, <laughs> there's a whole unexplored world that I haven't delved into yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one thing I thought about in New York, um, I, I felt like no matter how fast New York was going, it wasn't going as fast as I felt it was for technology at that time. And that was a feeling of, it was in my spirit and I didn't know what, and I still didn't know where it came from. But as soon as I got out to the Bay, there were things that were necessarily said, things that were done, things that, um, that I was able to kind of get over the hump because I always felt the energy to come here. And I always felt the energy was here. I, and I felt like I needed to be here. So, so yes, <laughs> there is a, there's always, there's always worlds around us that we do not know of. So you have this new app that's about to revolutionize the healthcare industry. Tell us a little bit. <laughs> um, so Simpa is, is special, right? Simpa is special to me. Story, my co-founder and I met in Silicon Valley about a year and a half ago, and we met kind of at the, we met at my friend's event that I got invited to. So I was actually going to pitch Andreessen Horowitz the same day. And for anyone on the talk that doesn't know who Andreessen Horowitz is, think about one of the top VCs in this country, one of the top VCs in the world. And um, I was going to pitch them at later in the day. During the day, I, I was already in Silicon Valley to meet up with my friend who was talking at a VC task force. And I was going just to support her. She's running her own startup, which is now, um, I mean, she's a big proponent of Microsoft's arm, which she's a force, black woman in force right now as a CEO, she's a beast. Um, so I went to go support her. And during lunch, I ended up meeting my now co-founder and we just talked for like 10 minutes. And, you know, he said, oh, you know, he was just like, we were just talking about the brain. I found out that he had his PhD in integrative neuroscience. And I was like, wow. I said, that's, I said, oh, that's it. So we started going back and forth, talking about that a bit. And then um, we ended up just postponing the next meeting. And when we met up again, we just liked being around each other and kind of started that way. And he was, you know, we were both saying like, wow, I can't, there was a point in my life where I, I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody and I'll never forget this. And it was because of everything that I was learning about my brain. I felt like I just couldn't speak to anyone. It was so weird because I was like, I would have conversations and I would throw out phrases that people would just look at me like I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? You know, dorsolateral prefrontal cord. Like, what are you talking about? You know, what does that do? <laughs> like, you know, so I, it, and, and I felt that from people, right? So, uh, so basically, SIMPA is simulated personal advocate. SIM, S-I-M, right? P-A. And what SIMPA is, SIMPA is um, your own personal healthcare advocate. Meaning we have the ability, we collect, analyze, and detect patterns using nutrition observation. And then we give you suggestions off of your nutrition and your blood work. So for instance, um, you know that there's a lot of different apps out there that just collect food. Uh, we don't only just collect food, we collect personal health records, we collect blood work, we collect um, um, like air quality as well. Because all of that goes into your entire measurement of your stability. So 
SEMPA on one hand is basically, uh, you can think of it as continuous insights and updates and recommendations based off of those different variables. And on the other end, you can think of it as, you know, it's your data, right? And you should be, be you should have the ability to create recommendations and insights off of your data and not some generalized way of looking at everybody. That is what's got us into the healthcare issues that we have now, is that the system has been, has never been for, you know, individualized and personalized recommendations because of this high up way that we've been looking at um, health. We've been looking at it from a physician standpoint, from a standpoint of, I tell you what to do and you listen. As a multicultural millennial, as a millennial, we're not going to have that. We rather get insights from YouTube, from Reddit, from our friends and family, trusted advisors than anybody else. And that top-down effect that has occurred, it, that's, that is what, that's what you see right now between COVID-19. The, the wires are getting ripped out of the system. The wires are getting ripped out of the system. And it needed to. And I mean... With my experience within the healthcare system, I, you know, I managed over 300 hospitals in New York, everything from Mount Sinai and St. Barnabas. Um, I managed those hospitals and I knew firsthand, you know, the issues between doctors not wanting to move over from paper over to digital. I knew the stresses around that. I knew that, you know, EMRs weren't really that good. Um, and, and now we're at, a, we're at a point where it's just like, you have so much data out there. The data is being, you know, collected every millisecond. I mean, you have data points that, that occur now faster than, than the blink of eye. And you think about that in the past five years, we've acquired more data than we have in the past 50. <laughs> so, so yes, we have, we've had an overload to the healthcare system and everyone that's listening to this is understanding that the healthcare system has imploded. It has imploded. That's exactly what you're seeing right now. The hospitals that can't hold people, you know, not being able to have a, a centralized or uh, in a tool that has the ability to aggregate your data and then make recommendations off of it. Yes. It's, it's, uh, there, there is, there is an issue <laughs> and we've seen that firsthand. So this is, this is good. This is, this is definitely needed. And I've always felt like in dealing with my own personal health, I should be able to do the same thing I do with my car. I should be able to diagnose the problem mm. or at least have a, an idea of what I think it is and then be able to go sit with a professional, a doctor and say, Hey, this is what's happening to me. This is what I've noticed, but this is what I think it is. What can you recommend? Absolutely. So in terms of simple, you're, you're essential. Let me see if I get it right. You're essentially cutting out the need for a physician upfront until it's absolutely necessary because the app in itself provides so much data to you that maybe you can fix whatever it is that's wrong? So, so yeah, so basically think about it this way. It's, um, we're empowering people to go out and to do it themselves, right? But what we're doing is we're going out as an advocate and bringing you what you need. We're just bringing it to you. So for instance, 
you log your food and you know you set out for what we call a quest so say in the quest you want to i want to you know i want to either lose weight or i want more energy right then we set out to make sure that you are going along of your journey within that quest within that given amount of time right because that's what data is it evolves over time it's not static it never was so think about this on the chan on, on the, the standpoint of um, you know, I'm logging my food and you know what? I had a lot of protein and I want more whole grains. Okay, you know, Simpa will maybe suggest that, depending, right? Uh, would suggest it and then you can say, oh, wow, oh, oh, I need that. And then another layer to that is then adding on your blood work. And now we get a baseline measurement of, all right, what, what is stable? right? And you see that. And then we correlate that with the food that's going into your body. And then symptoms, medications, supplements, injections, all of that can be analyzed and detected by symptoms. And be, the, the reason why we want to, the reason why this is occurring this way, and it, and it, has, to, it has to happen in a circular way, is because everyone's different. Everyone's different. Your body, your mind, but also your environment is different. And your environment, what's coming out right now in a lot of papers and what has been the, the sentiment is everyone is different. You have different types of environments. You have food deserts in certain areas. You have, um, you know, access in certain, people just have the knowledge to know that I can grab this avocado and not this cheeseburger. Like it's, it's just, you have everything from access to knowledge to will. And what we want to do is we want to be able to give people, um, you know, the suggestions and the recommendations that they need, but also take them along that journey, be there with them. And this is all in the cloud, all on a secure web server. And uh, the experience is through a, uh, actually a web app. So it's through uh, SMS web app that you can do. You can do all of this on. So, so I can map my journey. Let's say I started out in January with a particular goal, but I can go back and see what the improvement would be. Absolutely. Yeah. By July. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Or, or you can forecast out as well. So say if you wanted to take a two week quest and you're like, you know what? Um, I'm going to have my regular coffee. I'm going to have it. You can actually start to project out. And that alleviates the pain of even having to put in food, right? Like, so now you can start to, and then when that happens, I mean, the, the Simpa is very robust, but on the surface, that is what you're doing. Um, behind the scenes, you can do, once you add in, you know, your sleep patterns, your activity, all of that, the way that even you walk up hills and the way that you breathe, your VO2 max, you know, how powerful is your breath? All of that matters to optimal or balance. Wow. So I'm excited. Uh, when can we expect to be able to use it simple? <laughs> so right now we are, we're coming out with a soft launch at, you know, mid to end August. We already have close to over, I would say 200 people 
that are in line waiting for it. And I think it's actually a little bit higher than 200. Um, but what's fascinating is the fact that like, you know, the feedback that I've been getting from the African, you know, American community and the African community about how much this tool is needed, um, you know, for us, uh, for the multicultural individuals in this country as well, because if you think about it, um, but just on the lines of, you know, the, the issues that African Americans have had with the healthcare system here, the, the targets that we've been for experiments, the issues we've had uh, between trust and transparency Mm -hmm. in the healthcare space has been ripped apart. And there's reasons why we don't trust the physicians. There's reasons why behind it's not, you know, it's not some, oh, well, we just don't do it. No, there's systemic issues in our lineage that we cannot stand by. Like, even if we didn't go through it, we went through it because our ancestors went through it, right? right? Predecessors went through it. So, so yes, so I would say um, mid to end August, but even the people that if they want to get in, they have to tell them to reach out to me. I can, you know, know that they listen to the podcast and, you know, I can give them a code. Right now, the first people that are on this are the people that have signed up back in May. <laughs> yeah, they've been, they have been. Good. <laughs> That's a good problem to have. <laughs> God is good. Um, uh, you, you said something about, um, you know, in terms of the healthcare system, and I just wanted to point out um, that as a woman with fibroids, I have heard so many horror stories about doctors who perform hysterectomies when, you know, women are of childbearing age and may, may or may not have started or even finished their childbearing journey. And, you know, I think it's, it's been it's so disastrous and even... During this pandemic with COVID, I was hearing that hospitals were being paid 3000 a piece or whatever the price was if they had a COVID-related death. And it made me start to think, are you guys going to killing folk just because you want this money? So, you know, there's definitely been Black folk being marginalized, but a lot of it has been around in the healthcare system, particularly just been around the money and the amount of money they can get. So you have these pharmaceutical companies that are coming in and they are recommending. I mean, during COVID, all I saw, I remember seeing every maybe hour were all of these, I mean, pharmaceutical drugs. I'm like, how many drugs are there? And they were drugs for kids, drugs for teens, drugs for adults with different things. I'm like, really? Is this what we come to now? And I'm a big proponent of not taking any kind of drug, regardless of what it is, until it's absolutely needed. So my my last result is is always, let me figure out what's going on with me first. And then if I have to fix something, what's the remedy? And I'll go a holistic route. So I'm known for not even, I don't have a primary care doctor. Because for me, I feel like I could always go the route that, is less harmful to me, which has always been holistic. So I go to holistic doctors, I take holistic herbs or, um, you know, medications that I think work better with my body. Um, 
And so I think there's been this whole mess around. And like you said, we, we no longer trust the system. And um, I, I say this with caution. COVID has been a gift. It's, it's also been a curse, but it's been a gift. And I think the gift is in showing us how broken the healthcare system has been, how broken a lot of the systems have been here in America. I am happy to see all of this brought, you know, being brought to light. And I'm happy that you are on the pulse, first of all, of bringing something that's going to really revolutionize. Because if I know that I can have my health in my hands and be the first person, be the first go-to to creating better for myself, it empowers me. And you're absolutely right. It is empowering. So All About the Sisters is a Black wellness brand. And what we are doing is really championing um, wellness for women of color, for people of color. How can we partner with you and Simpa to help spread the word or what do you guys need and how can we help? Well, uh, first thing, I appreciate all the great affirmations you sent out, all those. I mean, I, I really do appreciate it. I mean, I, I see myself as doing uh, the works of him who has sent me and, and that is all. Um, so the fact that I'm here doing this now is probably just a testament of my ancestors, uh, to look at it through the eyes of them. Right. So I, from, from a, from a standpoint of wanting more for my family, for my friends, the people that I know when it pertains to their health, to allow them to live longer, that, that to me is what life should be about. Uh, on the partnering side, I mean, right now, you know, we we want to be the, you know, focal point when it comes to Black wellness, right? Our space is precision wellness. That's our industry. Um, so I would, I would say, you know, we can definitely talk about, you know, setting up, whether it be uh, codes for people to get in or partnership opportunities with your organization, about uh, nutritional, maybe education or insights, you know, have connections with um, local food markets and giving that education to the individuals. So when they come or when we give them a recommendation, oh, your local food market is a mile away. Once you go, you know, they have brand new fruits for you. They have asparagus, they have whole grains, they got seeds, they have these things that you can go to and have and get that we just advocated for you, yeah. right? Check out my website, <laughs> yeah. and it's at www.simpa.io. You can check out a little bit more about what we do. Um, if you want to email me or reach out to me, best way to email me is michael at simpa.io, S-I-M-P-A.io. Um, if you want to get into our beta, into our launch, um, I would say that, you know, just reach out to me, tell me that you maybe in the email heading, put the podcast. And so thank you very much, Michael, for, you know, I don't know, the divine course that you have taken, because you didn't have to listen when it was brought to you. You didn't have to take this path. You could have gone a totally different way. But thank you for just heeding the call and then championing this, because we definitely need something right now. I'm Melanie Painter, and I thank you for listening. For more about All About the Sisters, please go to www.allaboutthesisters.com or check us out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Want to know more about our guests? 
check the description of this episode down below.